This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Big week, as always. We're here to talk to you all about it. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Elon, you usually like to try and help me feed me a line during this part of the show, because I always end up just saying something terribly awkward that ruins the whole initial flow of the show. So I, I started the show, or just before, when Elon and I were talking off air, I said, wow, Steve Mason with a shutout today. Is that what just happened? And I hadn't been following the box, so I've been prepping for the show all day. And I'm counting on Elon to tell me if somebody else was in net. And Elon just goes, yeah, wouldn't that be a great thing for you to say to start the show today? You can brag about how you were right about Steve Mason. And then I looked it up because I couldn't trust him. Actually, I caught him tweeting. He, he got too proud of, of his attempted... Anyway, so here we are. Welcome to the show. Anthony Stolarz, who Elon thinks was the flyer starter. Like the fire starter, but the one who got the Flyers on a roll will get to the Flyers goaltending situation very soon. Welcome to this week's episode. Brian, what an intro. Is that your longest ever rant during that part of the show? Okay. Yes. You, yeah. you, you, were, you were setting me up. You were ready to embarrass me in front of thousands and thousands, hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, like at, le- at least five people. But yes. <laughs> I was just thinking, because you were, like, getting so excited, like, ooh, another shutout by Steve Mason. So I thought, yeah, you should say that to start the show. Then I thought I always need to tweet something also to, you know, say, oh, we're about to go live. Anyways, okay. Yeah, Stoli the goalie. And, yeah, what you're talking about is the fact that... The- Stoli the goalie. <laughs> you have a nickname for him. You know, Philadelphia is on a nine-game win streak right now. And you know who started it off? And you know who's capped it off so far? It's Stoli the goalie. Yeah, he's capped it off. There's nothing that's been capped. He beat Detroit one nothing. Steve Mason, that would have been an incredible feat. Anthony Stolarz, lucky. Okay, so Brian, yeah, Stolarz is lucky. I'm sure you're also going to say that the person who they beat one nothing in overtime, Jimmy Howard, is that still lucky? You're so proud about your Mason call. What about how you kind of have flubbed the whole Jimmy Howard thing? Well, I can't be proud of the Mason call. Well, I can. We'll get we'll get to it. I'm going to talk Howard. I'm going to talk Morazic. I'm going to talk, actually, Elon, you and I both totally whiffed last week. We'll get to those guys, too, later in the show. 
All right, let's actually get started. This is the weirdest way that we've started an episode. But before we go any further, we have to mention we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. I say it every week. You know what? We're not getting paid, by the way, by Dauber to say this, right? Like, we just are excited to be presented by them. They mentioned the show, and we're happy to have it because they're the best site. All this to say, Dauber's where I go for daily ramblings every day. The player profiles when I'm preparing for the show. Brian always says this, but it's so true. You just look at the player. You see who their current line mates are, like what their percentage of power play time the last game, all their stats. Like Player profiles are great. Then you've got like you know starting goalies every day. You can go to goalie posts and subscribe and get emails for all the starting goalies. I don't like it when we get someone on the Facebook group going, oh, no, I didn't realize that Stolarz was playing today instead of Mason. Like That's your fault because you didn't subscribe to notifications from goalie posts. Man, I just love Dabber Hockey. And something very handy about goalie posts, you can click on the goalie's name on goalie posts and you'll get taken straight to their player profile. So if you're wondering how they've been doing lately, you are one click away from finding everything out you need to know about that goalie and whether or not you should start him. We've also accessed Dabber Prospects researching for the show. In fact, this show in particular, I use Dabber Prospects, great prospect news source. We'll get to that too. I'll tell you okay. what the fruits of my labor were there. Man, okay, Brian, so many previews. And now we're just like, okay, and the show's over. No, we, we'll get to everything. <laughs> but we're going to start with something we haven't previewed yet because we are going to start with injuries, the first fancy hockey headline of the week. Not too many, thankfully, at least not too many major ones, but definitely a major one in Montreal. Alex Galchenyuk is out six to eight weeks with a knee injury. Really brutal, right? Especially for his fantasy owners, probably especially for the halves. But you know, he has 23 points in 25 games so far this year. It's been better than we could have even hoped for. Like, Brian, you said going into the season that you thought Galchenyuk was primed for a breakout. He should be the number one center and he has been he's been amazing bam out for almost two months probably so that sucks then it was looking like david deharney would take his spot centering patcheretti and radulov which looked like a very plum spot for deharney and brian i saw you added him in the cupful you were very excited about this then the weirdest thing he got injured the next game versus st louis also with a knee injury and now he's also out six to eight weeks so all of a sudden now montreal is down two centers and I saw a lot of ramblings around in the Facebook group, you know, okay, here comes the annual Habs collapse. And clearly they didn't get the memo because they beat New Jersey 5-2 to on Thursday, Colorado 10-1 to yesterday. So, okay, let's look into how this shakes out for all the Habs player values. And don't forget last year when Price got injured, at first we were like, oh, Condon's so good, so it's going to be fine. And it looks like this is happening again this year where the key players get injured and yet we're still seeing them win. We'll see if it can last. I'll be curious to know, Brian, your general thoughts on if the Habs will be able to keep this up. Is this bad news for like a Carey Price owner who's maybe going to lose out on some wins? But okay, let's look at the player values first. The big winner, I guess, if you could call that Thomas Placanitz now, is centering Pacioretty and Radulov on line one. Not on the top power play, but this guy, he's been having a horrible season. He's been completely fantasy irrelevant. Two goals and seven assists in 27 games going into yesterday. But then yesterday, four assists versus Colorado, which is what you'd expect when your team scores 10 goals. But even four assists, that's quite a lot. So that's great. I think there's definitely value there. I'm assuming, Brian, you're going to say that people should add him if he's available, or at least consider adding him if he's available in their free agent lists. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to add the Habs' number one center. I thought it was savvy. They weren't even playing the next day, and I thought this was a good move to make. Or maybe they were. I don't know. I was brilliant at the time. I added David DeHarnay, and then boom, he got injured, and I wasn't ready to spend another move on adding another Habs center, so I just let it go. My opponent in the cupful, Ricard, he added Plekanec, and then Plekanec's four assists night last night swung the whole category. If only I had added Plekanec first, I would have a sure win tonight. Instead, I'm praying that Dan Girardi does not block more than two shots. Anyway, back to the Habs. It's terrible news for Galchenyuk to be out. This is harder to say now that they just scored 10 against Colorado. But still, he's a guy who's been 
top 15 in the league in even strength on ice expected goals for per 60 minutes, top 30 in the league and even strength points per 60 minutes. And we're trying to gauge the fancy fallout of a number one center going away. DeHarnay and Placanic, even if DeHarnay was healthy, there wasn't a whole lot of anything coming from him either. So you have two guys who weren't doing very well, which means that it's bad news for the rest of the Montreal forward core who suddenly don't have a number one center to play with. So we'll see if the wingers can carry the centermen and there are indications that they can. Both Max Pacioretty and Alex Radulov are within the league's top 20 in individual expected goals for per 60 minutes at even strength. Brandon Gallagher is actually ahead of them. And, you know, you can look even further. Gallagher, Deneau, Byron, they're actually second, third, and fourth on the Habs in points per 60 minutes right now. Patches is the only top three forward ahead of them who is playing through a broken foot. How did he do that? Anyway, the entire Canadians' top six is in the league's top 30 in points per 60 minutes. And that kind of makes sense right now with the team ranked fifth in the league in goals for per game and everything going so swimmingly right now in Montreal. That said, all the point totals that are coming recently, like if you look, Elon, I know you're going to bring up Pacioretty and Radulov and how well they're doing lately. Those point totals are suddenly inflated with the 15 goals they've scored in their last two games against New Jersey and Colorado. And if you had a chance to watch that game against Colorado, you saw Colorado, they looked foolish over and over, just caving to this four-check pressure. They couldn't get out of their zone. They looked utterly defeated by like the fourth or fifth goal against. Right, yeah. So, okay. To summarize, I guess, everything you're saying, obviously add Placanitz if you can, just because he's the number one center. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you, you just wanted to answer that specific question. But what I'm saying is that the rest of the forward core seems to be able to handle themselves. All the recent point totals give them a boost. And so things look rosy with Galchenyuk out right now, but the Habs have the Bruins, the Sharks, the Caps coming up next. That's worth watching to see how everybody copes through those games. And for now, yeah, Placanic is someone you have to add just to see if he's still got some of that 55, 60 point production in him with wingers, very strong wingers who can handle their business. Yeah, I think overall, though, for pretty much everyone else, this is bad news. Like even Pacioretty, like losing... Alex Galchenyuk is a big loss. Yad hasn't hurt him yet. Obviously, three goals and assists yesterday, and he also had a goal on Thursday. He's up to now 24 points in 28 games. And this is a guy who, if you guys don't remember, like we were getting a lot of questions early in the year about, oh man, what's wrong with Pacioretty? You know, what a change one week makes. All of a sudden, he's like almost a point per game guy, but we'll see if he could keep this up. Radulov, he's up to 23 points in 26 games. Both of them have been amazing. But okay, then you have a guy maybe that gets some extra value, Andrew Shaw. I saw he was playing with Lekkonen and Dano, but he's been on the top power play with Pacioretty and Radulov, so that's good. And obviously Shea Weber, Andrew Shaw has two assists in each of his last two games, three goals, five assists in his last eight. So I think he's worth a flyer as well. I'm not very excited about Brendan Gallagher, though. I have to say, I'm starting to think he's kind of a bust this year. Like, before the injury, he wasn't really doing much. Yesterday, he was playing with Paul Byron and Tori Mitchell. You think with a couple of injuries, Gallagher should be able to get on the top power play, but no, hardly getting any power play time. Rarely getting over 15 minutes of ice time lately. He has three assists in his last two games, which looks really good. But, you know, when the Habs have scored 15 goals in that span, maybe three assists is just, you know, kind of what you'd expect. Overall, I think it's kind of a mirage. He has 17 points in 28 games overall. And I kind of feel like if I was a Gallagher owner, I'd be looking to make a trade, you know, right now while he's sort of on a pseudo hot streak because of these two hot games. But I'm very concerned about him just due to his usage. Fair enough. And, you know, today, Brian Wild, who covers the Habs for CTV, 
tweeted that Michelle Terrian was doing a masterful job coaching and he deserves a lot of credit. He and Kirk Muller, the coaching staff, have just been absolutely fantastic. You can't fault them for anything that's happening right now. And my immediate thought, and I tweeted him, I didn't get a response, although he did respond to some other people who raised the same concern. What's going on with ice time distribution among forwards who's favoring guys like Andrew Shaw and even on defense, like you look at Greg Patteron over much better available options in Gallagher is one of those guys who doesn't seem to be getting the ice time he deserves. It's certainly a weird thing to see him average his lowest time on ice per game since his rookie season, nearly one and a half minutes less per game than the previous two years. Now, with that in mind, it's not like other players are getting a whole lot of priority over him. Uh, He's averaging the fourth most minutes on the team. So what Terrian's doing, he's just leaning really hard on his top line. But with Gallagher, the thing is that even with this decreased ice time, yeah, he has fewer points, but his rate stats are as good as they've ever been. So he's still doing the same thing he's always done. He's doing it very well, but he probably needs those extra minutes to get back to a 55, 60 point hopeful instead of, you know, a guy who you're asking, what's his floor? And my answer is 50 points. I think he should be able to do better with better deployment. Yeah, and I know these are real people. I don't wish any ill will on any of them, but I kind of, as a Gallagher owner, was thinking, oh, why couldn't it have been Radulov who got injured instead of Galchenyuk? That would have been so good for him. This rude. I know. Okay, so I apologize. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I, you have to hold on to Gallagher. You can't drop him, I feel like, because maybe he could get back on the top line. I just missed the days of him being on the top line at top power play with Pacioretty. Those were such great times. That's what I was expecting going into the season. Well, now he is in bigger trouble. If Lukanet stays on the top line with Radulov and Pacioretty, there is not a whole lot left to happen on the second and third line. So Gallagher, for as long as Galchenyuk and Deharnay is out, is in worse shape than he was before. On the bright side, maybe he can pick up his own game. He is a guy who has shown a flair for generating his own offense. So we'll see if he can do that with two other not as great as usual guys by his side. Right. Okay. So that will conclude Hab's talk. I guess, you know, add Placanets, maybe add Andrew Shaw. I've said, be concerned about Gallagher. All right, let's move on. Another big injury. Max Domi is out six weeks after having hand surgery. And I say this is a big injury. If you take a look, he's been only having an okay season. He has 16 points in 26 games played. It's a 50-point pace. So maybe we uh, rated him like a little high going into the year. I thought he'd be like kind of a sure 55-point, you know, guy who could maybe even reach for 60 but, you know, I feel like this isn't good for anyone, right? Like, at least with the Habs, you could say this is good for Placanets. I don't see anyone really benefiting. Okay, I see one guy maybe benefiting from Max Domi being injured, which is Tobias Ryder, who joins Hansel and Verbata on the top line in the top power play. But, you know, now all of a sudden, it's not as exciting to own these Arizona guys, for me at least. Team leading scorer Redeem Verbata, who has 18 points in 27 games, is lining up, like I said, with Hansel and Ryder on line one and on the power play. He was already slowing down a little bit lately he had one assist yesterday but aside from that that's his only point in his last four games still shooting a lot but I think this hurts Verbata losing Max Domi on his line maybe he's now droppable in some leagues where he was sort of on the edge before then you have Martin Hansel only 10 points at 22 games on the year he's the kind of guy who I always think you know he's good when he plays but he always gets injured but lately he hasn't even been that good he's had a couple hot games this year but overall nothing too special So aside from Tobias Ryder, who gets some value just from, you know, now he's going to be on the top line, top power play. He's going to be in on probably more goals if they happen. Is there anything good you could say? Like, I'm I'm really bummed about this as a Verbata owner. Yeah, if they happen is the key word. I've been lauding Verbata all year long. I love what that top line has been doing. Even while Hansel was out, he was still able to produce offense. But the dirty little secret 
about Radim Verbata is that what he's doing is not wholly sustainable and it's starting to become apparent. It's gone under the radar because he's put up a 60-point pace roughly. And that for a first-line player, that shouldn't be terribly suspect. But I'm wondering if he should be closer to 55-point pace for the rest of the year, which isn't a huge drop in expectations, just one that's worth noting. The positive, though, at the same time, the flip side, the sunny side, over the last two games, one in which Domi was injured and the other that Domi missed, Verbada has 11 shots on goal combined, which is positive. As for Tobias Reeder, there's not a whole lot going on with him. Half point per game would be a nice achievement. Even, like, on top line, top power play, I just don't see him contributing a lot of offense. He was, like, a short conversation away from joining the KHL this offseason, if I remember correctly. So yeah, I think it's bad news for Hansel. I think it's bad news for Vervada. And I don't think Reader suddenly becomes a 50-55 point player just by virtue of being on that top line. Remember, the Coyotes are not a very good hockey team this year. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like, obviously, Mike Smith is holding his own. He's been having a quiet, really good season. He had another great game. You know what? The thing is, with all this mess, they still beat Nashville 4-1 to yesterday. Another great game for Mike Smith. Like I said, over 930 save percentage in 13 games this season. So he's somehow holding his own, even though, yeah, it seems like they're going to have some trouble scoring. There's also been some shakeups on defense. We were saying just last week how Michael Stone might look like a good guy to add because Anthony D'Angelo had been sent down. Uh, so D'Angelo's back. And Michael Stone got scratched yesterday. So who knows like what they're going to do. It's really hard to, I guess, peg the values of these guys. Obviously, you want Oliver ekman Larson aside from him. I don't really know. Like, yeah, I guess you could go back and add D'Angelo. He was back on the top power play. But I don't expect Michael Stone to be scratched every game. So we'll have to now see how things shake out. I don't see why they wouldn't put D'Angelo back on the top power play. Because that's where he was before he got sent down. Then there's still Alex Goligoski. He had an assist yesterday. He has 12 points in 27 games. I kind of had forgot about him on that team, but he's still there. So, Brian, any sense you can make of this defensive situation? And is there anyone you'd want at this point on Arizona, aside from Oliver ekman Larson? I can't make much sense of it. I actually looked for a while this afternoon trying to turn up a reason for Michael Stone's scratch. And... There was like nothing out there. I tried to read up on Coyotes news and it's like every article I found was already out of date. Even stuff that had been written the day before, like Stone was recovering fine and playing well. And then he was scratched the next game or reader Hansel Duclair reunited as a line. And then the best thing that I could find was Michael Stone was wearing a knee brace to recover and it was irritating the skin that it was covering or something. So I don't know if they had to take some time to figure out a better solution for him. And Elon, you mentioned Mike Smith, definitely a better option than Louis Domingue. Not a 930 goalie, but I would be happy with an average year from him. It's nice that he's putting up better numbers in the meantime. It's unfortunate the team in front of him is not very good. Yeah, okay. So I have a theory, which I don't have data to back up. Of course, that's your job, Brian, and maybe the listeners or the patrons could help me out with this. It seems to me like from just what I recall, and it might be also that bias where you only notice things when they happen and not when they don't happen. Anyways, confirmation bias. I think that when teams lose their top scorers it seems like then they play more defensively and it's good for the goalies that's something i've kind of seen it seems like goalies do better when they teams don't score much i don't know that's just something in my head you could tell me if i'm totally crazy and i could just move on i would tell you if you were totally crazy uh if i had any evidence to show me that you were i feel like it is a reasonable thing coaches like i feel like as a hockey fan you know you follow the news and you see coaches talking about how they're going to have to buckle down defensively to make it through the period that their star player is out, whether or not they're successful at that. I'm not totally sure, but I do imagine it is something hockey teams 
tried to do a good question. Uh, Dave in the chat is saying the Patrick Ewing theory, and I'm not a basketball fan, so you might have to elaborate on that. Hopefully he's actually referring to what I was just talking about there. Okay, let's go to outjuries now. This is a happier thing. You know, let's get past all these sad injuries. And maybe like, though, a sad outjury because he hasn't done very much. James Neal returned from his upper body injury that knocked him out for a couple of weeks on Tuesday. He scored in his first game back, but nothing since. Curiously, no power play time yesterday versus Arizona. And he went into the, to the game slated to play with Mike Fisher and Colin Wilson on, I guess, line three. Looks like the starting lines, according to a beat writer tweet that I saw, it was going to be Arvidsson, Johansson, and Craig Smith. Then Forsberg, Ribeiro, and Fiala. Though it seems like the lines jumped around through the game, which makes sense. They only were scoring one goal against Mike Smith in Arizona. And so then James Neal for a while was playing with Johansson and Arvidsson, which is obviously a much better situation for him. Still, though, they were rolling Fiala, Johansson, and Austin Watson on power play one. And Arvidsson, Fisher, Ribeiro, and Wilson on power play two. So like, what? First of all, why isn't James Neal on the power play? Second of all, there's another name there that I haven't mentioned. You might notice on those power plays, and that's Philip Forsberg. So he also wasn't on either of those lines. Both Neil and Forsberg have 16 points this season. Neil in 23 games, Forsberg in 27 games. In the last month, though, they're trending in opposite directions. Neil has nine points in his last 11. Forsberg, eight in his last 15. So, Brian, okay, what's going on with these guys? Like, specifically, let's just talk about Forsberg. I think James Neal, probably fine. He's back from injury, maybe a slow time back. I don't know what's going on with this power play situation, but I can't see him not staying on there. But Philip Forsberg, we have to talk about him. People were projecting him to be a 65 to 70 point guy this season. He's currently on a 49 point pace. And I've seen some really sad tweets and messages on our Facebook group recently. One guy was saying how he traded Johnny Gaudreau for Philip Forsberg and Ben Bishop, which is like, oh my gosh, that didn't work out so far for you. But like, is there hope for Philip Forsberg owners or do they have to get used to the new normal of him not being a 70-point guy and hoping he can maybe hit like 55 to 60. Full disclosure, I am a Philip Forsberg owner, and I actually withheld him in a trade that would have seriously helped my team in the short term, but I wasn't sure about the long term. I think Philip Forsberg is going to be okay. This is not the new normal. His shooting percentage right now is at 3.1%. He only has three power play assists, and that might be due to a low IPP at five on four on the power play. So I think there are a lot of reasons to expect that Forsberg is going to bounce back and be fine. His shot on goal and shot attempt rates are down, which I don't love, but the rest of what I'm seeing still makes me confident. He remains a 60 point player. At least I think 65 is still reasonable. The only thing that is looking a little more, unfortunately certain is that this might not be the year he hits 70. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a left winger, right? And Victor Arvidsson is slotting in very nicely on that top line and getting big minutes. So I wonder if maybe Philip Forsberg doesn't have that secure position on the team that he used to. I think to be a 70-point guy, you have to be the go-to player in most situations, I feel like. And a lot of people are asking also about the value of Victor Arvidsson at this point. I guess we talked about him every week, so I don't know if we need to get into him again. But, like, he's good. Like, it doesn't seem like a mirage for the success that Victor Arvidsson has been having. He's taking so many shots, getting good ice time. Maybe he gets bumped a little bit by Philip Forsberg at some point. But at this point, I don't know if they would. Though, I guess Nashville, to be fair, did lose 4-1 to to Arizona. So who knows what will happen in the next game. Yeah, Arvidsson definitely working his way into the conversation. It's weird what's happening in Nashville. There's two weird things. And the first is the whole line business that you mentioned. And you're asking what's wrong with Neil and Forsberg. I think the answer might be in the question. Neil's on line three. They're both absent on the power play. And I haven't been able to find any justifications for these decisions. So there's that side of things. The other side of things that there is some hard data for, whether it's meaningful or not, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but the Preds are really struggling on the road. They are 9-2-2 two two at home, 
three nine and two on the road. So they're like a Stanley Cup contender at home and a bottom feeding team on the road. And that's a serious Jekyll and Hyde situation. You look at Pecorine, he's a 934 at home and a 907 on the roads. And they're going to spend the majority of the next month on the road. So they better figure out what ails them in those situations. We've talked before about usually home ice advantage comes down to a referee bias. So you're awarded more penalties in your favor while you're on home ice. I don't know if that's been like an extreme thing happening against Nashville when they visit other cities because they're, I don't know, like that might be going a little too far, but they do need to sort out whatever it is before long. While I mentioned Rene Elon, four consecutive sub 900 starts for him, which is, uh, I don't know, the bubble might be bursting just a little bit. He carried this team through their first 20 games, even though they weren't all that successful. He gave them a chance every night. Now we'll see how much he slows down. And also, Elon, you mentioned Johnny Gaudreau earlier, and I just want to take that opportunity to mention, since the last show, we talked about Sean Monaghan getting back on that horse. He's now with a point in seven consecutive games, two multi-point efforts, had five shots the other night, scored a goal on one of them against Winnipeg. Things are looking better for Sean Monaghan. If he is still floating in your free agent pool from an impatient owner earlier, now is the time to pounce. Yeah, okay. We have to learn some lessons here at this point. And maybe, you know, there's been times earlier in the year when a lot of players have slowed down. You know, Mike Hoffman is one, Monaghan, like you say, and now they're doing great. So, you know, I think a guy, if he comes into the season with a huge pedigree, he's had a few good seasons, you really have to give them a very long leash. So, you know, hold on to Philip Forsberg. Don't trade him for nothing at this point. You know, another guy I'm going to mention soon, John Carlson, who's been great for a while. He's finally heating up after starting slow. Of course, him, it was a little different because of deployment issues. And we'll get to that in a sec. But anyways, yeah, I think we all have to remember early in the season to take a breath and not be too concerned about an early season slump. We know what happens to Andre Kopitar every year, right? It happens all the time. You of all people giving this speech. I really appreciate you doing it. Uh, but Sean Monaghan was a guy. I totally wanted to distance myself from. I'm not going to say get given up on, but there was another owner in the cupful actually who had Monaghan. And I was thinking like, I know I could get him for peanuts at the moment and I couldn't bring myself to do it. I didn't want to take that risk. And of course now I'm kicking myself. There's another guy who fits this profile, Elon, over in Washington. I don't think we're there yet though. Okay, but we are. Okay, because let's go to our next outjury. Let's talk about TJ Oshie, who's back, as is Matt Niskanen, who is playing today. He was not out for as long, but TJ Oshie was out for a couple of weeks, I guess three weeks, but he's back. He had nothing in his return versus Boston, but a goal and assist versus Buffalo, playing with Johansson and Nicholas Backstrom, so a good situation to be in, 14 points in 19 games, 60-point pace. I feel like TJ Oshie is a pretty reliable guy that you're going to see around 55 to 60 points. Obviously, it's better if he's playing with Ovechkin, or maybe, is it obviously? Because actually, Ovechkin is a guy, and I'm jumping around here in my notes, but Ovechkin's a guy we've been starting to get some questions about. Like, he had only one assist in his last five games before going into today, but I know he scored a power play goal today. I'm not sure what else he did. So I think Ovi's back. Yeah, like, people who get concerned about Ovechkin, that's like the extreme of the advice I just gave. Never give up on Ovechkin. I remember there was one year, like two or three seasons ago, where he had a cold stretch and a lot of people like dumped him in keeper leagues for not enough and then he went on to get 50 goals every year so yeah, you can never give up on Alex Ovechkin but okay oh she's back like I said Niskanen's back but regardless talking about Niskanen hasn't hurt John Carlson because he had already earned his top power play spot before Niskanen went down again and he's finally heating up he has three power play points in his last four games played and I believe he had another power play assist today he also finally scored his first goal of the season on Friday even though he has 65 shots right 65 shots after that game 
Finally one goal. So we should have had more goals. Finally one went in. He now has, though, 11 games in a row with no more than two blocks. I just wanted to throw out there. I know we always thought about Carlson as a guy who you could rely on for blocks at least, even if he's not giving you points. That's not the case, but maybe it doesn't matter because John Carlson finally giving you points. And then, Brian, I know the guy you wanted to talk about on Washington, who you were hinting at, Evgeny Kuznetsov, on a three-game point streak, four assists in that span. And again, that's not including today. Let me check very quickly. And yes, Kuznetsov, another assist today. So he keeps rolling if it's not too late. Grab him off of free agency, right? He's playing with Ovechkin and Justin Williams. He's currently been off the top power play with Oshie having returned from injury. But I feel like it's weird with Kuznetsov because last year when he was doing well, I was concerned about him because I felt like he wasn't on a good line and wasn't on the top power play. So it was kind of like, oh, he has to carry his linemates. I don't think that's going to last. And he did end up slumping at the end. But obviously I was wrong for most of the year. This year he was playing with Ovechkin for a lot of the year, but wasn't getting any points. I pro- in hindsight, I wish I would have said, yeah, well, whatever. He's going to be fine because he's a good player and he's playing on a good line. Anyway, things seem to be writing themselves, right, Brian? I think so. He's another guy who I looked at acquiring really low. And the upside is certainly tempting. I couldn't bring myself to make an offer, though, because I didn't see the numbers there. He's faring well on none of the usual measures that I use to gauge my expectations of a player. The recent positives, though, are definitely there with these points coming in. In his last four games before tonight, I don't have tonight's numbers in this, but in his last four games, he had three shots on goal three times. And that's a feat he achieved 31 times last season. So that's like no big deal. He does it all the time. But this year, he'd only managed to do that three times over the past 22 games in 2016-17. So suddenly, he's starting to take more shots on goal. For context, you've got a guy like Andre Burakovsky, who has several more games played so far this year in which he's had three or more shots on goal. So a shot taking Evgeny Kuznetsov, though, that could be a point producing Evgeny Kuznetsov. The irony, of course, is that he's playing with Ovechkin, whose goal is in seven, has just one point in his last five. I'll also move on to John Carlson. Elon, it's great that he's back. And by back, I mean back scoring because he's been in the lineup. It just hasn't shown up on the score sheet very often, but he's on a roll now. His shot blocking days, though, I think they might be behind him. They seemed behind him last year where he was getting about two per game on average. And we were wondering if what Washington was doing with their systems resulted in fewer shots against so that he didn't have as many opportunities to block shots. And that still seems to be happening. I wouldn't be counting on him for more than two shot blocks per game on average. Yeah, as long as he's getting points, as long as he's doing something for me, then he's worth holding. I got an offer of Tyler Toffoli for John Carlson, one of my leagues, and I was considering taking it because I was really disappointed about how Carlson was off the top power play and also not getting blocks. I almost accepted, decided last minute, and eh, now I might as well just hold on. And thankfully I did, because we're going to be talking about Toffoli later as a guy on a cold streak while John Carlson is doing really well. Okay, but we're still in Washington. I mentioned how Oshie is a pretty reliable 55, 60-point guy. You know, there's another guy in Washington who's currently on a 60-point pace who maybe we don't talk about in that conversation very often. Marcus Johansson keeps things going. He's keeping things going. He has 21 points on 26 games. That's actually a 66-point pace, so much higher than we would expect. He's always been someone somewhat reliable to put up consistent offense you know one point and a half maybe every couple of games you know around a 50 55 point pace but this is a really great year for Marcus Johansson so far I think Brian you said before not to expect more than around 50 you know 55 has his continued success changed your mind yet and I'd be curious to know who you would want between Marcus Johansson and TJ Oshie at this point okay so Marcus Johansson big run lately five goals three assists for eight points in his last seven games played 
I'd actually be happier if more of those goals or those points were actually assists because he's had five goals come on just 13 shots. And this is a guy who's teased before. In fact, he's teased earlier this season. He had a huge run at the start, then went cold just two points over 10 games. And now he's on another run. Ultimately, I'm not changing my mind about him playing at a 50-point pace for the rest of the year. Maybe some fluctuations where he's playing huge and others where he's not playing so much. If he maintains this increased power play role, though, I'm happy to go up to 55, but that's as high as I'll go. And for that reason, I think I like Oshie better. I see him as a guy who has a similar outlook to Marcus Johansson, but more shots on goal. And he's also more likely to stick in a top six role at even strength or sneak onto line one even. And before we get to that last capital that I know you've got queued up ready to talk about, Elon, I just want to go back to John Carlson. Obviously, the reason his shot blocks are down, which I couldn't spit out in time, Lots less time on the penalty kill. When he was getting those big shot-blocking seasons, he was playing 290 minutes on the penalty kill, 224 minutes in another year. Then last year, his ice time on the penalty kill was cut considerably down to 116 minutes. This year, interestingly enough, he's already at 63 minutes. So a quarter of the way through the season, or just over a quarter of the way through the season, or maybe we're close to a third. Anyway, he's on pace to break last year's penalty kill time on nice total so we'll see if maybe he picks up a couple more blocks that way but he's not somebody that can fill all the categories for you anymore the way he did two or three years ago yes that hurts his draft value in bangers and mash leagues anyway okay but this other guy i wanted to talk about we got a question about him so i gotta mention him there's a guy named jacob verana who was called up and he scored a goal in washington's last game versus buffalo and i'm referring to not today's game but the game before that uh, patron Corey asked if he's worth adding in a deeper league. So Brian, any general thoughts? I know we're not huge prospect guys, but who's this Jacob Verana? He was on the top six for a little bit, but with Oshi back, that quickly changed. Yeah, so he's a first round pick, 13th overall in the 2014 entry draft, drafted by the Capitals. Uh, over at Dauber Prospects, the profile says that he's an electric skater that can beat defenders with his feet to create space. He's highly creative offensively and has an excellent passing ability to go with a quickly released shot. And we did see a bit of that in his NHL debuts. He actually, I guess he impressed Barry Trotz. He had 18 minutes in his second NHL game, although he fell all the way back down to eight minutes in his most recent one. He's only become a full-time North American pro as of last season. And he's actually been about a point-per-game player over the 55 AHL games he's played. So there certainly is some offensive upside with him. I don't know how much of a chance he's going to get this go-around. Yeah, I think it was looking good for him. I would have maybe added him for a spot start in a deep league when TJ Oshie was out, but now it seems that there's just not a spot for him to really produce. He's not playing with good line mates, and you need that if you're going to have any consistent production. Okay, Brian, I still have a couple more outjuries to get to, but before we do that, why don't we go ahead and mention our sponsor for the episode, SeatGeek. This is a site you could go to to buy tickets, and you might think, I know other sites where I could go to to buy tickets. Let's not even mention them, but we all know the one that has huge fees and is is always confusing because you never know what the final price will be until it's already like you're done the whole pros and like oh actually there's like a 30 percent extra fee you don't have to worry about that with SeatGeek. they do all the price comparison for you they search multiple ticket sites and ensure that you'll get the best possible deal SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money and like i said they show you the final cost when you're looking through including all the taxes and fees so you'll know what the price is going to be when you see it on SeatGeek, Brian, I still haven't been able to convince my wife to cancel our plans of going to see Matilda for her birthday to go see the Leafs game. But I'm trying to tell her on SeatGeek, we could go to see that game. Leafs versus Sharks for $46 
ticket a ticket each and that's hard it's hard to get tickets to a leafs game i don't know it's a good deal and i especially want to use SeatGeek for that because there's a good deal for listeners of keeping carlson yes you keeping carlson listener download the app or sign up on their website enter the promo code keeping and you will get a 20 dollar rebate off your first ticket purchase with SeatGeek, which is great on top of the savings you're already getting by using SeatGeek to buy your seats I love the no fees thing. It's a huge deal for me. I remember, Elon, I was looking at hockey tickets from a hockey team site. Okay, from the Ottawa Senators website. Mm-hmm. They were $86 for four tickets without fees and then $130 with fees. And then they were going to, after they made it look like they already had the fees put on, they threw on another $4 at the end. And I was like, forget ah. this. I need seat geek. And uh. so I did. I mean, don't say they don't have fees. It's just included. At least they show it to you right off the it's bat. It's shown up front. I don't need to go through all the steps to yeah, yeah. create an account. It's all there. For prices on fleek, check out SeatGeek. Thank you to at KeepingBen on Twitter <laughs> for that slogan for SeatGeek. If you want to send us a slogan for SeatGeek, we'll give a new one every week until they tell us, oh, thank you so much for helping us come up with a slogan. You know, we're going to uh, sponsor every podcast you ever do for the rest of your life. Okay, Brian, let's get back to Algeries here. We have so much more to talk about. We're talking about seat prices. Come on. Prices? We're here talking about prices? That's a reference. Okay. Bobby Ryan returned for the second time on Tuesday from his hand injury. Before today, he had played two games and had no points, no shots on goal. Today, okay, he had a power play assist, which is nice, I guess. But still, one shot on goal. So I don't know. Like, to me, Bobby Ryan kind of seems like a snoozer at this point. He had eight points in 23 games on this season going into today. So I guess you can make it nine points in 24 34 shots on goal, so less than two shots a game. Playing with Turris and Dezingle on Friday. Second power play, I guess, with Broussard, Dezingle, and Zach Smith. So, I don't know. Maybe I mean, now that he had the power play assist today, so maybe you're going to be like, oh, no, he's he's good. But I feel like I'm ready to call it. Bobby Ryan is a snoozer. Maybe I'll feel bad about him, like, you know, Kuznetsov and these other guys later on. But, Brian, do you see any reason for me to hang on to Bobby Ryan or for any of our listeners to hang on to Bobby Ryan right now? Bobby Ryan's another guy who's a victim of a low shooting percentage and a low IPP, but his shooting percentage isn't critically low. Add to that, he only has 34 shots over 23 games played, so he hasn't done a whole lot to help himself. And I wonder if he was playing injured for a while. He doesn't seem like he's had his shot for most of the year, so either he's gone through a very sharp decline or there has been a nagging issue that he was playing with and now isn't totally recovered. I don't know. I need to see more from the guy. I've been one of his consistent backers, but I am officially concerned. You look at him. He's never been more than a 55 point player for his three years in Ottawa, even though he's billed as being something much greater. The worry is that he's only got one direction to go from that 55 points as a near 30 year old player. Who's never been known for his skating or his play away from the puck players with his kind of profile They tend to decline a little sooner and maybe a little more dramatically on that aging curve for forwards, Uh, though the 30-point pace he's on right now is obviously too far for him to fall. So I'd consider him a 50-point guy with upside of 55. Ottawa is not a great place for anybody to be picking up points right now. We've heard a lot of the struggles of Ottawa Senators through the year. They were going through a rough shooting percentage series, and they've actually bounced back in shooting percentage over the last month, but they remain a bottom five or 10 team in just about every other offensive measure, like expected goals for, scoring chances for, shot attempts against, shot attempts for. All that stuff 
it's not pretty for Ottawa. So maybe Bobby Ryan back in Anaheim would be a little more successful. But right now, yeah, 50 points floor, 55 point upside, not a super exciting or dynamic fantasy own. Uh, yeah, I even feel like you're being pretty generous to give him a 50-point floor when he has eight points in 23 games or whatever, nine points in 24. Like, yeah, I mean, I think maybe he could hit 50 points. I guess you're higher on him than I am. So maybe if you guys want to listen to Brian, you could hold on to Bobby Ryan for a bit longer. I think he's a little better than he's doing right now, but I don't know. It's not looking that great, and he's not even like on the top power play. So that's with the assumption that he was playing injured and that hopefully he does get to recover and get better. You're right, though. You're right to be worried. And in some leagues, he might be more worthwhile as a cycle spot or his spot might be worthwhile for somebody you can cycle in who's hot, especially because I doubt anybody is adding him right now in your league. So maybe it's worth a shot. Uh, He's a name that everybody has always been attached to, but maybe it's time to start, yeah, detaching yourself from. Yeah, okay. And since we're on the Sens, should always mention Eric Carlson, even though all these problems you're saying with the Sens shooting percentages and other various things, shots per game, even strength, blah, blah, blah. Eric Carlson, 27 points in 29 games now. So he's still like basically a point per game guy. Fantastic. As always, he's the best. Hoffman, Stone, even Kyle Turris have been great. Lately, uh, everyone else probably a snoozer. You know, Derek Broussard, I'm going to throw in with Bobby Ryan. But let's let's move on from the Sens. One more out jury before we get to some very intriguing goalie situations that everyone is talking about here in the chat room. You have to wait. But actually, no. I'll start with the goalie because I have one more out jury that is a goalie situation because Jimmy Howard is back. Mrazek did okay in his absence at first, but kind of sputtered. You know, in the last few games, he led in three goals in consecutive games against the Islanders and the Jets, both three, four wins. So that's nice, but led in three goals each of those games. Then he led in three goals on 17 shots before getting pulled Friday versus Columbus. Howard came in, stopped all seven shots in relief. And then today, Jimmy Howard started the game versus Stoli the goalie, you know, in Philadelphia, a home game against them. And he had a great game. So he lost one nothing in overtime but made 35 saves at 972 save percentage. So another amazing game for Jimmy Howard. I think there's no question that he steps right back in to be the starting goalie. We thought maybe when he got injured, this would be a chance for Morazic to establish himself and like earn some of his job back, at least maybe get back to being a 50-50 guy. But he didn't do it. He didn't play that great. Jimmy Howard obviously is recovered and, and just fine. You know, Philadelphia has been so hot, and we'll get to them a little bit later. Like these guys don't have trouble scoring goals, but apparently they do against Jimmy Howard. So I feel like... Once again, it's his net, and I feel like once again, Peter Morazic becomes a lot less valuable. Well, first off, Elon, the Flyers are playing on the second half of a back-to-back, so they are a great goal-scoring team. Maybe not as good as they were the night before, although it's not to take anything away from Howard. Uh, he's got to regain the form he had before getting injured. That's the big question is, can he do it? A great start for him, and Morazic left the door wide open for him, did not take that opportunity to run with the starting job. Mrazek had three quality starts in Howard's absence, but those were accompanied by two starts that were just below quality starts and two clunkers, including the night before Jimmy Howard gets back, which just probably made the Red Wings so desperate for him to get back in the starters crease again. So yeah, it seems like it's Howard's job to lose once again and good for him for keeping it up. You know, with Chad Johnson, I'm really, I'm keeping an open mind as best I can. But not with Cam Ward, right? I'm still keeping an open mind. Goalies have been so bizarre this year. And Elon, I know you're about to bring up a few situations that we certainly would not have anticipated at the start of the year. But it's like you can't count on nearly anything. Pecorino's been great. Jimmy Howard's been great. Cam Ward's been great. Mike Smith, like all these guys. Seems like everybody has just picked a random number out of a hat 
and that's told them where they should rank in the year-end save percentage, except for, of course, Carey Price, who is good all the time. Yeah, I mean, and there's a couple other names we could throw in there. Dubnik and, you know, Tuka Rask has been good. But okay, let's talk about some goalies that are driving us crazy. Let's go. Okay, everyone's talking about in the chat room here. People are asking me, by the way, to jinx a game tonight. The Rangers are playing the Devils. And, you know, they haven't let in a goal yet after two periods. That's all I'm going to say about that current game. But okay, Antti Ranta, he played his first game since November 27th on Thursday at Winnipeg, and he came out with a 2-1 to win, making 17 saves. So a pretty good game. Looked good. You know, I thought, that's good. You know, he's always good for a spot start when he plays. Then, surprisingly, Alan Vigneault put him again Friday, so the second game of a back-to-back at Chicago. And Vigneault and Ranta, owners who picked him up for that spot start that decided to hang on, they were rewarded with a one nothing overtime shutout. It's like, okay, that's great. But okay, now Lundqvist has come back, right? But he's playing again today. This is the third straight game for Antti Ranta. While Henrik Lundqvist is not injured. He's just sitting on the bench. And like I said, it's currently 3 nothing after two periods for the Rangers. So should Lundqvist owners be worried? Like, I'm sure they are worried. So Brian, it's up to you now to decide if you're going to try to ease their concerns or make them even more stressed out. Lundqvist... You know, not doing himself any favors. He's not having a great season overall. He has a 9-12 save percentage in 21 games played. If you look at his game lock, he's basically gone back and forth with good and bad starts. You know, not someone you could rely on. He hasn't even been, you know, like 9-12 straight through. It's been sort of good, then bad, then good, then bad. Meanwhile, anti-Ranta, 9-39 save percentage in 10 games played. It always seems like these backups have really good save percentages. And I think, again, one of my theories that's not backed up, I probably should actually look in and do some research for some of my theories, but it seems like backups get easier games, you know, second halves of back-to-backs and whatever. But, you know, 939 save percentage, that's obviously fantastic. Brian, is Ranta a must-add at this point if he is still a free agent? Dave, in the cupful, I know you're here in the chat room. He beat me to him in the cupful. It drives me crazy. I bid $0, as did Dave, for Ranta on a day when I wanted to pick him up for a spot start. But I lost the tiebreaker because I'm too good, and I'm ahead of him in the standings. I wish that Dave was ahead of me. I should have bid a dollar, though. Shouldn't have been cheap. I got Pickard instead, who I thought, oh, I'll be just as good. I'll get Ranta or Pickard, whatever. It's just a spot start. Pickard, who I ended up adding, he did okay against Boston. Then he decided to blow my week yesterday in this game against Montreal. So the whole thing just went horribly wrong for me. But anyways, okay. Enough about me. Let's go back to the Rangers. Brian, <laughs> what should people do with Ranta and Lundqvist? Oh my gosh. You asked that like three minutes ago. It's very traumatizing. This is my second week in a row. You know, I haven't said this on the podcast yet. Last week, after we finished recording, I thought oh I had my goalie categories all settled in the couple. I had Bernier in there because I needed literally like eight goals against in order to lose my goalie categories. And he went ahead and let in eight goals. It's my second week in a row getting blown up by these goalies who aren't even my main goals. I have Gibson and Rask who are fine. And somehow I let these other scrubs screw me week after week. Brian, let's talk about the Rangers goalies. Wow, I I, I want to put in a request right now for an Elon rants about his fantasy hockey team spinoff of the show. I wouldn't mind listening to like two minutes of solid ranting from you every week. Anti rant? No, I'm not gonna try and do that. Uh, so anti ranta doing pretty well lately is an understatement. Elon, you already kind of said everything. Unfamiliar territory for both goalies right now, though, with Ranta playing three straight games, which is something he hasn't done very many times in his career. And Lundqvist, a healthy Lundqvist, sitting three straight games, which is something he hasn't done very many times in his career. In the words of Alain Vigneault, Ranta deserves to play. So I guess that means that Ranta is the hot hand, according to Vigneault, and that's who he's going to go with. 
The interesting thing about both Ranta starts is that he's seen 18 shots against one of them, 26 shots against another. So only 34 shots against total over the course of two nights. He stopped 33 of them. For comparison's sake, Semyon Varlamov faced 28 shots against the Maple Leafs alone by the end of the second period tonight. Anyway, I can kind of see the logic of where Vigneault's coming from. Lundqvist has not been reliable. Elon, you said he's been alternating between good and bad outings pretty much all season long. In fact, he's only put up back-to-back quality starts twice this season, and we're 20 starts in already. So no measure of consistency at all. I think I would have preferred if there were a scheduled start situation. So like get Hank back in there because he is the number one. I, I feel like that should not be thrown into question right now. I don't know that Ranta is a better option than Henrik Lundqvist on any given night. And it kind of just makes me think that things are getting weird to keep going with Ranta over Lundqvist. Like what if Ranta plays well tonight and tomorrow and the next night and the next night has a run of like six or seven good games. We did warn at the outset that Lundqvist could see less time this year, but I didn't quite think it would happen this way. I figured it would be more like this is going to be a rest date for you here and a rest date for you here. Not well, your backups out playing you. So you sit on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to say, and I feel like my opinion currently is, okay, yeah, he's having a hot stretch, but obviously Lungfist is the starter. He'll get back in. But then there's this like ringing in the back of my head that's saying, Chad Johnson, Chad Johnson. Because I said the same thing, right? Brian Elliott, for sure he's a starting goalie. Yeah, Johnson's playing well, but eventually Elliott's going to get back in the net. They didn't sign him to sit on the bench. And now here we go. Johnson is like the for sure starting goalie. Brian Elliott has zero value in fantasy. I'm not saying it's the same situation, but it's well, just like, like you say, Brian, what you said about goalies before, like they've been weird this year. Like I feel like if you have Ranta available for you, just add him just because like, just do it to be safe. I disagree. I like. I think you can add him and maybe he'll get it started too. But once he's out of the net, I feel like it's Lundqvist for the next while. Although again, I could be wrong. Uh, but we should be clear, Elon. Henrik Lundqvist, Brian Elliott, two very different goalies, yeah. two, two very different statures in the NHL. Also, Chad Johnson had the chance to steal the starting job from Henrik Lundqvist for like three years in his career. Couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, Brian, it makes sense. Like, how could... Henrik Lundqvist lose the job, but I mean, crazy things have been happening this year. And, you know, like you say, obviously Lundqvist is going to get back in the net. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. You know, Brian Elliott kept on getting back into the net and kept on blowing it until finally they were like, why do we keep putting this guy in when we have Johnson is doing well? I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a possibility. And I feel like if I have a spot, you know, if I'm just like have a cycle spot on my roster that normally I just bring in like a guy to get an extra couple of games a week, I'd rather maybe sacrifice that spot for one week to just store anti-Ranta there just in case, even if it's going to hurt me, you know, in the short term. Anyways, you know, whatever. I'm being conservative because we've seen it already happen this year. Okay, most likely by next week, we're going to talk about Henrik Lundqvist had two great games, whatever. Okay, I mentioned Pickard in my rant. Clearly, he's not as exciting as we thought a few weeks ago. You know, there's been multiple times where Varlamov has struggled and we thought Pickard might have a chance. I don't know, at this point, yeah, like when Pickard plays, he might have a good game like he did against Boston on Thursday, but he might have a horrible game. Varlamov, also, like, just who knows with this guy? He's been a disaster overall on the season. 897 on the season going into today. Patron Brad is a Varlamov owner, and he's been asking for permission to drop him for a while. I feel like it's every week. He's like, guys, please, I have four goalies. I don't need four goalies. Can I please drop Varlamov? He's killing me. And we keep saying, I don't know, like, try to trade him. Like, I mean, because he lists the free agent goalies available, and they're all, like, 
Varlamov would be clearly above the rest because he's the only starting goalie. So it's like, how can we give you permission to drop a guy who's going to be the only starting goalie in free agency? And hey, hopefully you started Varlamov today because so far after two periods, Colorado's beating Toronto one nothing, And people might be thinking, oh yeah, Colorado, good for them coming back with a strong performance after letting in 10 goals yesterday. Well, they've let in 31 shots in two periods. It's only because of Semyon Varlamov that they're not losing like 5 nothing already again. So who knows? But I think you can't drop Varlamov into free agency. He's not at the Brian Elliott level because he's still a starting goalie and he still clearly has some skills. But I don't know, Brian, if you have any insight here. But I feel like, what do you do in this situation? We have a goalie that's the starting goalie. The backup clearly can't steal the job, but like he blows up your stats every once in a while. Well, you mentioned how well he's doing tonight, and a lot of Varlamov owners might be happy about that when they're looking at the just day standings. But when you look at what he's done for you this week, 6.58 goals against average, 873 save percentage. All he's doing today is maybe cleaning up the mess that he and the abs made last night. I don't know what to say about dropping him. I feel like you can't. I feel like you need to just hang on and deal with it and wait for his value to rise. And then if you've got the nerve to do it, trade him while he's finally doing something positive for you. I tried to look for some reassurance in the last year's splits or years past. In 2015-16, he was about an 887 goalie over the first two months of the season. Then he was a 930 goalie over December and January. Then he fluctuated wildly for the rest of the season. It seems as though he always has a few bad months over the course of the year. So hopefully these two and a half bad months so far are going to count towards his bad month output for the year. That's like the most reassuring thing I can come up with. I am a Varlamov owner. I'm insanely frustrated. I think he can be a very talented goalie. Sometimes things go wrong. I have no idea why they do. At least there's some solace in that Pickard doesn't seem to be a real challenger at this point. He's blown his last few opportunities to really make a statement. So for now, I think Varlamov is at least the number one A goalie, if not outright number one. Yeah, I kind of feel with Pickard, it's like play him the first game after Varlamov blows up and then drop him, even though you think, oh, now he gets a second start. You got to keep him like, I don't know. Anyways, it's just pattern matching off a small sample size. All right, Brian, maybe if you're not going to reassure people about Varlamov, probably it's good because you need to save some reassurance for this next goal. The last goal I'll bring up today, Corey Schneider. Okay. What is happening? This is like, again, just like the lung fist situation. So he only has a 9-11 save percentage on the season. And that's actually going into today. He's already led in three goals against the Rangers in two periods. So that's probably gone down by now. He's been over 9-20 for the past six seasons. Like Corey Schneider has been such a reliable, good goalie. And the knock on Corey Schneider has been that, yeah, if you could draft him for good rate stats, but he's not going to get you a lot of wins because New Jersey doesn't score a lot of goals. This year, New Jersey has been scoring goals. We've talked about Camilleri and, and Taylor Hall, like lighting things up. Not today, but overall, like we've been talking about all of these Devils players bringing you so many points. You'd think, what a great year to have Corey Schneider, but this is the year he chooses to totally like blow it and suck. So I don't know, like in my head, I feel like, is it time to buy low on Corey Schneider? Like, cause I feel like once he finds his game, he might have a good chance to be even more value than he's been in the past. Or like, is there actually something wrong at this point? Like is Corey Schneider not as good for whatever reason? And then, you know, Brian, you mentioned on our Facebook group that you really like Keith Kincaid. I don't really know why, but you seem to really <laughs> like him. That's what you wrote. So, like, is he a challenger? Like, what do people do if they're Schneider owners? Like, to me, I feel like I would buy low at this point, but maybe I'd regret it. I'd be like that guy that tweeted us saying he traded for Ben Bishop, and now he's probably like, ugh, why did I trade for him? So the Devils are working through some stuff right now. They've given up three or more goals against in 11 of their last 12 games. 
And if you compare their numbers between this year and last year, and last year was more reflective of the previous couple, uh, this year they're giving up on average five more shot attempts against per game, four and a half more shots against, a quarter more of an expected goal against. So they're giving up more than they really ever have in the last three years defensively. And so looking for reasons about this, I found a good article by CJ Tuturo over at allaboutthejersey.com. And his explanation essentially focused on the defense. And he said, look, Green and Larson were a really great pairing for the Devils last year. Green and Severson, not nearly as good. There's also a problem when Kyle Quincy is someone you're relying upon a fair bit to hold up your defensive core. If you look at Schneider himself, he does deserve his share of the blame. His even strength save percentage is in a tailspin. If you look at his five-game rolling average from the start of the season till now, it's not even leveling out. Like it's sometimes, you know, it's just not where you expect it to be, but at least it's steady. It's still falling as we move forward. All his save percentage contexts are about the same in terms of low danger save percentage and high danger save percentage. But I lied when I said all of them because his medium danger save percentage, that's the culprit. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I know how to interpret when a high danger save percentage fluctuates based on a goalie's career sample. I feel like medium danger save percentage should eventually level out, which is why I think Corey Schneider is going to be okay. As for Keith Kincaid, I think I was just trying to be cool by saying I liked him. I think it was also more of he had just been doing well. You know, Scott Wedgwood did really well last year. and was getting all kinds of kudos. And I just don't see the same thing happening for Kincaid this year. So maybe I just wanted to give him his fair share of credit. But there are a few NHL goalies, including starters on other teams, that could challenge Corey Schneider for a starter's job. I feel like if he can't succeed behind this defense, it's not necessarily his fault. I feel like few other goalies would be able to. So my suggestion at this point is to ride it out. Buy low if you can, if you have the patience, because keep in mind, New Jersey is still not a great team. Even if you do get Schneider, you are just banking on those rate stats reappearing. I would bank on it still at this point. Okay, here's here's my plan for you. Any of you who picked up Anti Ranta for that first spot start and now have been like so excited about how he's still playing, go right to the Schneider owner, make an offer, Ranta for Schneider. Who knows? That would be, I think, pretty good. I think there's like an 80% chance or 90% chance that that's going to work out really well for you, I think. Okay. Also, by the way, in the chat, Patty is saying maybe Adam Larson is a good defenseman. So yeah, New Jersey did trade one of their top defensemen to get Taylor Hall. That's never been in dispute that Adam Larson was a big part of that devil's decor. I I don't want to get into the whole discussion about whether he was worth a Taylor Hall, but yeah, sure. The devils are suffering without Larson and they didn't do anything to replace his presence either. They added a forward. They did not add a defenseman. Okay, Brian, let's move on now to cold streaks. We've been talking for so long. We haven't even gotten to our hot streaks and cold streaks. Oh my. Okay. We got to start in Carolina, or at least I want to start there because I'm frustrated (laughs) with Victor Rask. So he has three assists in his last two games. It's kind of like a Gallagher situation. Before that, he went on a stretch of two points in six games played overall, still 21 points in 28 games. Okay. Maybe I'm actually like, you know, the thing is he had a good game yesterday. So all of a sudden now it throws everything in flux, but I was looking at Victor Rask because he had that great start, right? I think he had like 10 or nine games in a row to start the season where he had a point streak, but it seems to me like it's going away. Maybe to me, he looks more like a, you know, half point per game guy. Now, my main concern is his usage. Last couple of games, he was playing with Brock McGinn and DiGiuseppe. When before, if you recall, he was on the top line with like Skinner and Tara Vinen, I think, or you know, he was playing with really good players. 
looks like now he was moved at least partway through last game to play with Jeff Skinner and Derek Ryan. So, you know, Jeff Skinner is a really good goal scorer. So you want to be playing with him. He also played on the power play with those guys yesterday. So maybe things are getting back to how they should be with Victor Rask. But uh, I just want to get your thoughts on him. I think we all got really excited about him while the goals were coming. But lately, we've seen the Hurricanes. They had a stretch of eight games where they scored only 13 goals. And seven of those games saw them tally two goals or less, which are the Carolina Hurricanes that we're more or less used to from the last few years. Rask is currently second in team scoring with 21 points, one point behind Jeff Skinner, the next best scorer on Carolina, It's a three-way tie between Teravainen, Stempniak, and Aho, who each have just 13 points. That's an eight-point difference between them and then Rask, and then nine points between them and Skinner. The Canes still aren't a big-scoring team. Rask had 48 points himself last year. I really wouldn't count on him or any other Hurricane to far exceed a 50-point pace for the season. So, yeah, I'd have him closer to 50 points than I would 55. All right. Well, it was fun while it lasted. I still have him in like a cup full. I guess I'll hold on, hope that he could keep something going. But yeah, I guess I have to lower my expectations. And Brian, so I mentioned that he was playing with Skinner and Derek Ryan. I can't just say that and move on because Derek Ryan, he has four goals and three assists in his last eight games, which prompts the question, who is Derek Ryan? I've never heard of this guy. So is he a rookie? Is he is he new? Like, is he worth looking at? And I guess I might as well throw another name at you so you can answer both at once. I feel like I also have to mention Jacob Slavin or Slavin. He has four assists in his last five games. He's a defenseman on Carolina. Like, when the big names aren't scoring, you have these, like, guys who most people haven't heard of. You know, Slavin, by the way, also puts up blocks and has been getting some power play time. So is he someone that should be on people's radar? So what are your thoughts on Derek Ryan and Jacob Slavin? Derek Ryan is actually a pretty good story. 29-year-old journeyman playing his first NHL hockey. He played Canadian University hockey in Alberta, and then he headed to Austria for three years. Then he got a year in the Swedish Elite League, and that led him back to North America in the AHL, where he scored 68 points in 79 games over the last two years. There was an NHL cup of coffee in between. Now in this cup of coffee, he's doing stuff with the big club. So yeah, it's a nice story. But I just told you Victor Rask is going to have a ceiling pretty close to 50 points. So connect the dots on what I think of Derek Ryan's scoring potential. I'll say the same for Jacob Slavin. We've seen a couple really short bursts from him in the past, but nothing that has sustained. Okay, and then BungieCord93 in the chat asks, have Falk, but I've been contemplating dropping him for Slavin, having a hard time letting go of Falk. Good question, because I was just about to bring him up. So meanwhile, talking about a couple guys on Carolina who are doing okay, like Justin Falk continues to slump two points in his last 11 games played. Now, he's a guy who people drafted very high, hoping for around like a 50-point defenseman who also shoots a lot. Brian, do people just hold on to him and hope that he bounces back? Or is he now someone you could cycle in for a hot defenseman like Slavin, who's doing better right now, or D'Angelo, who you know we brought up before? Is Justin Falk worth holding, or is there something actually wrong with the guy? Worth holding. He's not someone I want to cycle out. He's seen a sizable dip this year in on-ice shooting percentage, which explains why he's about uh, five points behind the 45-point pace that we'd expect from him. He's still doing all the stuff that I like about him, though, so I'm not concerned that there are any specific issues that are related to his own play. Okay, so the next player on a cold streak that I want to mention is Zach Parisi. We're starting to get a lot of questions about him as well. You know, you guys make it easy. Thank you very much, by the way, to all the people who tweeted us or, you know, the patrons in the Facebook group. Thank you for so much to the patrons. But anyways, yeah, like you help us come up with the plan for the show because I feel like anytime I get asked about a player who's slumping, it's like, oh, I guess that's someone I should talk about on the show because if you're concerned about him, then probably a bunch of the listeners are. And yes, we've gotten a lot of questions about Zach Parisi in Minnesota. 
He had a six-game pointless streak before today. He had an assist today. So that's nice, but only nine points in 19 games so far this season. Maybe that has to be bumped to 10 points in 20 games. Brian, it was easier when we did these shows on Sunday mornings. Then we didn't have to worry about the stats changing in between when we prepared and when we started presenting the show. Anyways, Zach Parise is still playing with Stahl and Coyle, I guess, though actually they've been shifting things around, and I saw that they put... Jason Pominville on that top line recently. The, you know, now snoozer for sure, snoozer Jason Pominville. Hopefully you don't have him. But anyways, yeah, Zach Parisi, we thought of him as a 60, 65 point guy is like maybe 60 at this point, the ceiling. Like it's hard to see him, you know, really breaking out at this point. Like Minnesota doesn't score so, so many goals. And I'm going to get to another guy who's like doing a lot of the work producing offense on Minnesota, like it's seeming to get spread around a bit more lately. So what are your thoughts currently on Zach Parisi? Zach Parise was pointless in six until today. His shooting percentage to even strength is half of what it should be. So I expect some positive regression there. And he's still averaging three shots on goal per game. So I think he's going to be okay. One area of concern is that he only has two power play points, but I don't think it's for lack of trying. He has a really low power play on ice shooting percentage. So I believe his numbers right now, they're worse than they look. And there's still a lot of bounce back opportunity for him. I'm really sad. He's another guy I own. I feel like everybody we're saying bad things about, I own on one team or another this year. That's just the year it's been. Ugh. Yeah, but where are you in the standings? Middle in the pack of two of them, front of the pack in another. It hasn't been hasn't been my strongest year. You've heard me belly aching through Google Talk all year long about guys like Parisi and Varlamov. But I, I guess I'm just hoping, you know, there's still time for the ship to be righted. And for Parisi, I mean, he's barely 20 games into his season. I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm trying to make you feel better. You're middle of the pack, which isn't so bad, with all these slumping guys who you think are going to do better. Like, it can't get any worse. Like, if you have all these slumping guys and you're still able to be in playoff contention, that's so bad. Don't worry about it. You're fine, Brian. But okay, Zach Parise, yeah. Like, I agree with you. He's for sure not going to be, like, less than half point per game. But I, like I said, I think the 65-plus point pace, I think we're beyond that now. And maybe the reverse of my theory from before, I feel like if you have a team that has really amazing goaltending like they're getting from Devin Dubnik, I wonder if that is going to hurt their scoring because the team doesn't need to score as much. They might as well just focus on defense, try to get a couple of goals. Anyways, this is, again, just one of my crazy theories that's not backed up by stats. I don't want to be one of these guys who's like, watch the game and you'll see. Like, obviously, I think stats will answer this question, but it seems to me to make sense that Minnesota doesn't need to score a lot of goals, so I don't see Zach Parisi getting, like, 65-plus points. Okay, the guy who I wanted to mention that's been doing really well lately is Miku Koivu. He has eight points in his last nine games after a slow start, and that's not including today. How did he do today? Miku Koivu, no points. Oh, well, 20 minutes played. I don't know. I just took a quick look at the back score. But yeah, looks like he bumped Coyle from the Parisi line for part of the last game. So, But generally, Koivu's been like the second center, I guess, behind Eric Stahl. But really, like both lines seem pretty even. Like, And they've been shifting around a bit. I saw recently Parisi, Stahl, and Pominville, like I said, and then Koivu with Zucker and Granlund, who's also been doing pretty well lately. But yeah, Miku Koivu not owned in a lot of my leagues. I assume he's available in maybe a lot of the leagues of our listeners right now. I wonder, is he worth an ad? Just because he's doing well lately, he seems to be keeping it up, and he's obviously getting used in a pretty prominent role. I'll give a resounding meh to Miko Koivu. I think he's a guy who you could cycle in, who should you know be sitting around the top of your free agent pile. But on the whole, Elon, you just said Minnesota isn't a big goal-scoring team, 
And that's one of the reasons not to like Parise for 65 points. And you're right, 60 points on Minnesota is a pretty good accomplishment in and of itself. I don't think Miko Koivu can do much better than a 50-point pace, maybe 55 points if everything goes really perfectly. He is someone who gets consistent opportunities for the most part. But this little run recently, I guess it wasn't so little, but his run recently doesn't convince me that the old 70-point Miko Koivu is suddenly back in Minnesota. All right, that, that's fair. But I mean, you know, if you have a free agent available who you think is like a pretty sure thing for a 50-point pace, that's not so bad with some upside and he's on a hot streak right now. I think he's worth looking at. I'm throwing him out there as a name because I'm going to be bringing up some other guys and asking, oh, would you prefer this guy or this guy? So we could put Koivu on the list. Am I actually going to do that? Who, who have I mentioned so far? Victor Rouse <laughs> or Miku Koivu? Who would you want between those two? Let's just get it, get it going. Uh, I guess short term, I'll take... Uh, I was going to say Koivu. I feel like Rask is probably the guy I want in either scenario. Elon, I'll, I'll throw one at you. Who do you want, Miko Koivu or Eric Stahl? Stahl has a goal, four assists for five points in his last 12. Just one goal in his last 14 games after we were singing his praises for a few weeks. He's still mostly getting shots off, but I also feel like he's settling more into what we should expect from him, like Koivu, which is a 50, eh, hopefully 55-ish point pace. Yeah, I would take Eric Stahl just because he's playing with Parisi, who I do think is still the best player on Minnesota. But yeah, it's a bit disappointing that Eric Stahl hasn't been doing so great. But I, I still think he's like, he's another guy. He's like just really reliable. You know, he's going to get points. He's on the top line, top power play. You know how much I love that. Like, I'm not going to take the guy who's not on the top power play over the guy who is on the top power play, unless it's like Kuznetsov last year. And I still didn't do that. Okay, so another Zach. We talked about Zach Parisi. It's like another Zach that's driving people crazy. What's going on with the hashtag Team Wierenski? After his scorching start, he only has one goal in his last seven games played. His ice time has dipped below 20 minutes in the last two games. You know, normally I would say, ah, don't worry about it. He's getting lots of ice time. You know, he's still on the top power play. That is true, actually. But I don't like the fact that Seth Jones, Jack Johnson, Murray, Savard, they've all played more than him recently. They've all had more minutes than Zach Wierenski yesterday when he was like one of the top minute defensemen for the start of the season. Like I said, still on the top power play. But I'm curious what you think. People should expect from Zach Wierenski moving forward. Like, is now a good buy low opportunity? Do we still see him as like a, you know, I didn't mean to say, by the way, when I was like saying everyone has to grab Wierenski, I didn't mean to say he was going to stay and get like 60, 70 points this year. But I thought he was a really strong bet to be like a 40 to 50 point defenseman, which is very valuable in a league. You know, if you could get a defenseman like that off of free agency, usually the defensemen of free agency are like 20, 30 point guys. But like, can I still rely on him to be a 40 to 50 point defenseman, giving me a point every couple of games? at least if not more i don't know this sounds like a guy who's backpedaling pretty hard after going all in on hashtag team Wierenski. i'm just kidding i think you've been pretty fair and even-handed throughout and i don't love to mention this stuff on the show like as related to fantasy hockey because of course it's it's more important to other things but there was a death in the family for zach Wierenski, which is perhaps uh some reason to explain what happened with his ice time and whatever. So I'm just going to talk about his play. He still has three or more shots on goal in five of his last six games. And, you know, you can go back through his game logs and only see a sporadic outing where he had less than three shots on goal. One place, though, where you can expect him to drop from a 60-point D-man down to, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50 points on the power play. I'm going to bring this up every episode, every time we talk about a Columbus Blue Jacket Columbus had 11 power play goals in their first nine games, which was insane. They have seven power play goals in their last 17 games. To Wierenski's credit, he's been in on three of those seven power play goals. But that power play is the spot we said to watch for regression. And that's where it's happening. He's still on a 53-point pace today. And I think that could be a touch high 
if he can finish the year with 50 points, that's huge. So maybe it's more than a touch high. You can count on him for certainly at least 40. I still think he's good for 45. Okay, so, you know, Wierenski owners, like, maybe you're disappointed because you lost your sell-high opportunity where you could have gotten, like, a Chris Letang or, I don't know, someone, like, really crazy for him, maybe a Giordano who's, I, I haven't checked lately. I know he was slumping a lot at the beginning. But, yeah, he, like, hold on to him. He's, he's pretty good. He gives you a lot of shots on goal, which is nice. Uh, and, and, Brian, so speaking of this Columbus power play, I guess we should mention that last week you suggested, I'm not sure, you sort of, like, offhandedly said Sam Gagne was a guy who should maybe, you know, he'll probably drop from the top power play on Columbus. And so, like, some other guys that we were talking about will maybe take his spot. I don't know. We, I don't know. We brought up Sam Gagne in somewhat of a negative sense, and he responded, though. He heard the show, and he was like, you know what? F you. He got two goals and two assists versus Arizona on that day. Then he had a golden assist at Detroit the next game. So Sam Gagne is on fire right now in Columbus. we got to bring up. He also had four shots on goal yesterday versus the Islanders, even though he didn't get any points, up to 19 points in 25 games on the season, which is definitely a lot more than we would have expected going into the year for Sam Gagne after 25 games. What do you do with a guy like this? Like he's in the bottom six. He doesn't play in the top six on Columbus, but he's on the top power play. One of those specialists, I guess. But you say that the power play is going to regress though he is still getting a lot of points. Like, and the thing with Zach Wierenski is, yeah, he's on the top power play. And I know you said that you can't rely on that, but like they've still been scoring power play goals. Like Sam Gagne is a prime example of that. Anyways, we're past Wierenski. What do you do with Sam Gagne right now if he's available in free agency for you? Would you want him more than Miko Koivu? I'll go yes in the short term. With Gagne, clearly, I don't know, called him a snoozer on the last episode because he'd gone cold for a brief moment. But I can still say on this show, he has 14 points in his last 15 but Elon, I disagree with you. Only three of those 14 points in his last 15 have come on the power play. So I think it's wrong to say he's got nothing but that power play time on ice in his favor and that the power play is a big point of his production. He's done a lot at even strength. 11 points in his last 15 have come at even strength. I still stand by what I said last week, though. Regression is still to come for him. It's just a matter of when he's going to let it set in, when it will finally take over his numbers Clearly, it didn't happen this week. It could very well happen the next. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm not excited about Sam Gagne. He's available to a couple of my leagues. I still don't plan on adding him. I don't know. I like a guy in the top six. So I know you're saying he's gotten a lot of even strength points, but I don't see it continuing, especially on a team like Columbus. I, I don't know. That's not even fair. Columbus is a team that's shown that maybe I should stop saying stuff like that. Like I feel like a guy like Cam Atkinson, I'm getting totally off script here, but like we're getting questions. You know, I saw a question recently of like uh, Toffoli or Atkinson, and I was like, my gut reaction was, of course, Toffoli, but Atkinson, you know, like these guys at Columbus are getting points and are somewhat able to sustain it. So good for them. But okay, actually, speaking of Toffoli, oh, he was actually next on the list. I didn't even plan this. Yeah, the next cold streak I want to talk about is Tyler Toffoli. Only one assist in his last five games played. Only played 11 minutes and 30 seconds yesterday versus Ottawa, well below his season average of 17 and 57 seconds. So he's usually playing like 18 minutes a game. For some reason, I don't know what's happening with him. He like 11 and a half yesterday, down to 15 points in 27 games played. It's a 46-point pace. So well below what he had last year. He had 58 points last year in his career year to date. He's still playing with Jeff Carter and Tanner Pearson, but hardly any power play time yesterday. I don't know what happened yesterday. Maybe he's getting punished and he'll like get bounced back to more reliable usage. But is something wrong? Like with Tyler Toffoli? Like, is he like I thought of him as a pretty reliable 55, maybe like upside of 60 point guy. Like at 58 last year. At this point, I, I don't know. He's he's on a cold streak. I want to know if you think it's sustainable or fleeting. I think it's fleeting. The cold streak is fleeting. I'm not gonna go into great detail. I'm just confident he's going to be fine. Do you believe me? Do I believe you that you think he's going to be fine? I think he'll probably be fine, but I'm very happy I didn't trade John Carlson for him. I'll tell you that. Like, I guess at the end of the day, the problem with a guy like Tyler Toffoli is his line mates, he has Jeff Carter, who's really good. Tanner Pearson isn't that great. 
And so, you know, he's not like in that amazing situation, especially if he's not going to be on the top power play. It's hard to rely on him to do too, too much. But, you know, hopefully he'll get more than 11 minutes and a half moving forward. And yeah, I guess at least a 50, 55 point pace, I would hope. But definitely disappointing for the people who drafted him high or like traded for him before this cold streak. You can still count on that. I didn't really mean to give him short shrift. I just mean like I can talk about his low shooting percentage and his low this, his low that till the cows come home like I normally do. I just feel like Tyler Toffoli is a guy who I can just say he'll be fine. And it's very believable. He's not this bad. A 6% shooting percentage on the year right now. And last year he was at 15. His true shooting percentage is probably somewhere in the middle, but he should have a few more points by now. And I expect him to get back on track before long. Okay, I agree. And by the way, you know, we're mentioning Tyler Toffoli, cold on LA. You know who's not cold? Marion Gabrick, up to four points in six games played after we reported him doing nothing after his first game. He happened to have only played one game before we did the podcast talking about him in the outjury section. And we we're like, oh, he didn't even have a shot. He's on the third line. Brian, you correctly said, ah, he was probably just getting eased back in. He's going to go to the top line. And yeah, he's been playing on the top line with Kopitar and whatever third piece gets a turn recently, Trevor Lewis. But yeah, Marion Gabrick getting a point pretty much every game. You got to add him if he's a free agent. You know, so much upside. Do you think, like, in his career, he used to have a lot of upside. Anyways, let's say if Sam Gagne and Marion Gabrick are available, who would you take of those two? I think I might actually prefer Marion Gabrick. I think he's a great get as long as he's with Kopitar. We talked about him coming into the season as somebody who might be good for some sneaky value, and then he got injured. But now he's back, and as long as he's playing with Kopitar, I think there is value there for somebody who could put up a 50-point pace, right, and sitting there in free agency for you. Yeah, I mean, first line is good. With Ajay Kopitar, who we know is going to bounce back, he's going to be great. I know he hasn't been as great as people were hoping for, but I'm not too worried about him. And so, obviously, if he's going to bounce back, I can't be too worried about Marion Gabrick if he could stay there, and he was there last year. I guess the big concern also is he might get injured, but whatever, you could add him, and then if he gets injured, you know, just drop him and whatever. All right, Brian, let's go on to some hot streaks to end the show. Let's go to Tampa Bay. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I know you really want to talk about Jonathan Druin, who has six points in his last four games after I said that he had been cold recently. And I said, Brian, maybe you're a bit silly for valuing him so high. So obviously you've been getting rewarded. And I guess I understand now why you're so excited to talk about Jonathan Druin, because you're so disappointed about all of these players letting you down. So you want to talk about the one guy who's been going beyond at least my expectations. So Man, like, who knows with these Lightning players, though, right? Like, Druin's been playing with Boyle and Nemesnikov in his last game, though he was in the top power play with Kucherov and Killorn and Nemesnikov. Note that I didn't mention the names Johnson and Palat there. They both have a goal and an assist, like, respectively. Johnson has one goal, Palat one assist in their last seven games played. Uh, so, yeah, I know now I've mentioned a lot of guys for you. So you could comment on Druin, but also I want to know, is it snoozer time with Johnson and or Palat? We're getting some questions about these guys. Like, can I please drop Johnson or Palat? Like, Ugh, I guess I, I feel like not since they've both been playing with Kucherov at even strength. The triplets line has been reunited, but these guys so frustrating to own. Like, I feel like if you have a reliable guy available, I would maybe drop them. But anyways, first, Brian, why don't you go ahead and brag about how you were right about Jonathan Druin? Well, I'm not going to say I was right about Jonathan Druin, but it is a nice thing for the week. At least you say it like it's something that can make everything that's gone on go away. But we talked about him. You had him as a snoozer last week and it was not an indefensible stands for you to take you look at all of Tampa they're not a good team this year they're bottom third team in their share of shot attempts each game they're bottom third team in shot attempts per 60 minutes they're bottom half team in expected goals for per 60 minutes they're bottom half team in goal shares they're mid-pack team in shots on goal per 60 minutes none of this is good and their PDO which you might point to or you might be tempted to point to and say well you know they're just getting unlucky their goaltending's letting them down their shooting percentages down 
it's just fine. It's exactly what you'd expect it to be. They straight up need to do better. So with that said, there are larger issues at play than whatever Druin, Johnson, or Palat are managing themselves. Something is not working in Tampa this year, and we're seeing it in everybody's numbers. We're past the point where we can hope for any measure of consistency in the short term from Druin, Johnson, or Palat in terms of production. Hopefully they sort things out and we can start counting on them for semi-reliable production. But for now, I'm kind of over it. I'm, I'm done saying wait on Palat, wait on Johnson. Not that you should go ahead and drop them, but essentially wait out the storm instead of saying, you know, uh, they're just getting unlucky. A few bounces not going their way. Now I'm like, well, there's something wrong with the team. I think it can be fixed and they'll be better whenever that happens. Yeah, I think at this point of the year, I see like Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat, and I guess you throw Juwin in there, even though he's on a hot streak right now. I see them as guys who still have the potential to produce. Like they're in a good situation. Like if Tampa Bay gets going, there's no reason to not expect them to be getting points as well. But I can't rely on them. So I know there was a question on Facebook today, and I sort of punted it and it was like, you know, someone asked, Can I drop Tyler Johnson for? I don't even remember who it was for, but I said, Oh, we'll talk about Johnson tonight. So I was like, sorry, I didn't have to answer, and I could wait to see what you said. I don't know. Like, I think you could drop him. There's a chance he'll still, you know, go on a hot streak at some point in the season i think it's actually kind of likely that at some point in the season tyler johnson will go on a hot streak and if you would have dropped him then you'd be like oh why did i drop him now he's on a hot streak but you know you'll forget about all the time that he was slumping and doing nothing i guess the whole point is to have someone who's doing well in the fantasy playoffs and who knows but yeah i'm not relying on these guys to put up consistent production moving forward like you say like it's been long enough that like something is clearly wrong if you don't have anything to add let's go to philadelphia brian another guy you really wanted to talk about and you deserve this I know I tried to trick you at the start of the show to make you like overplay how well he's been doing because he didn't get a shutout today. But Steve Mason has been like so good. Like people who added Mason after that Neuberth injury should throw you a parade, Brian. I think like Neuberth got injured. I came on to say like, ah, so what? Like Mason's been so bad. Like forget about him. And you were like, no, he's good. I remember at some point I was like, oh, so what? Would you prefer Mason over Hellebuck who had been hot at the time? And you were saying, yeah. And you just said yes, like stone face, like Jay, when he voted up Michaela on Survivor. Spoilers. Maybe, I, I don't know. It's, it's like a long time ago. But anyways, yeah, totally stone face. And I was just like, what? Are you crazy? And I remember people in the chat room were pointing out how like Elon is just so despondent at Brian. Just Anyways, you were right. You were right about everything. Like Not to get into Hellebuck, but he hasn't been too, too great. And Hutchinson's even been getting more starts lately. Steve Mason, seven straight wins in his last seven games. And they were seven straight games for Philadelphia. So Stoli got in today. And, you know, got the eighth straight win, or it's actually the ninth straight win for Philadelphia. So this team is hot, and most of it is because of Steve Mason, because he's been the main goalie there. He has a 930 save percentage during the stretch. I assume at this point it's his job to lose, like when Neuverth comes back. It's apparently going to be just like around 10 days before Neuverth is back, and Stolarz gets sent back down to the minors. But I think at this point it's not going to be like back to 50-50. Like now, unless Mason really blows it, which I will point out, it's not completely unlikely because he's had stretch, you know, we've seen earlier this year he has the ability to really blow up, but he seems to be on his game right now. And Brian, you really just, uh, it's just like good for you. You really called it because what you said is Steve Mason needs to get on a roll, play a bunch of games. That's like the type of goalie he is. And that's what's happened. I mean, it's obviously still a small sample size. Who knows? But I feel like, yeah, he's been great. I don't even have a question. I just want to say kudos to you, Brian. I'm glad that I have you as my co-host on this podcast and not some scrub who would have agreed with me and said, yeah, go ahead and drop Steve Mason. Thanks, Elon. I really appreciate that for all the times you beat up on me for my ridiculous other things that I project and prognosticate. You know, the thing is, I, I'm, I can't pat myself. Or I'm not going to pat myself on the back as hard as you are. Uh, but to give the numbers, Mason has given up two goals or less in seven of his last eight starts. 
All of those seven starts where he gave up two goals or less were, of course, quality starts. This being Philadelphia, though, before we all get too excited and plan that parade, they're probably just going to put Neuwirth back in and start rotating goalies and ruining everything again. Mason has given them a reason not to do that. Now we just have to see if they've been paying close enough attention. All right. And like I said, Philly has now won nine games in a row. And so obviously during that stretch, there's a lot of good point production from these guys. So Jacob Voracek, Claude Giroux, Wayne Simmons, all over a point per game. This was actually before today's game. So maybe that's changed. But Voracek, 15 points in eight games. Insane. He had a goal and three assists in each of his last two games played before today. So he's been just insane. We said at the beginning there, I'm not going to say it again, because we've already mentioned how, like, you know, Voracek was ranked way too low in most rankings. And you should definitely have drafted him and been able to get good value from your drafts. I hope you did. Giroux and Simmons, obviously, Braden Shen, who had been cold for a while. He had that hat trick a couple games ago. So he's great. So all the Philly guys who you want to do well are doing well. Also, some late breaking news. Ghost of Spare missed today with a hand injury. Michael Del Sato took his place in the lineup. So something to watch. We'll see if Ghost Bear is out long-term. If he is, Mark Strait took his spot on the top power play today. And he actually had two power play assists last game. So Mark Strait is definitely someone that I would say you have to add if he's available while Ghost Bear is out. Because this Philly power play is clicking big time. And if Ghost Bear's out and Strait is the one manning that power play with Borchek and Giroux and Simmons and Shenley, you definitely want him in your lineup. Well said. Okay. All right. Moving on, next hot streak. I guess, yeah, we have to start wrapping things up. I have a few more guys I wanted to mention. Robbie Fabry, we talked about Perron's hot streak recently. He has now zero points in his last five games played, and he's in the bottom six with Yaskin and Berglund, still on the top power play. But I feel like if you added David Perron recently because of that hot streak, I think you could safely drop him, especially if you have Robbie Fabry available in your free agent list. I know I just said Fabry and now Fabry, so I don't know. I think it's Fabry, right, Brian? Fabry. Yes. Okay. So Fabry, he has seven points in his last six games, still playing with Tarasenko, still on the top power play also with Tarasenko. I feel like if you haven't grabbed him yet, time is going to run out very, very soon. Brian, I was lucky to pick him up as a free agent in our joint league. I'm surprised. Like other weird people have been added in this. Like, I think the people in this league, I wonder if anyone's listening, they they all really suck. Like they all really are kind of dumb. Like we've won every single week, like handily. And I think that we're going to win this season. No problem. Unless you have bad luck in the playoffs. But anyways, also I think they're mad at me because I've been trash talking maybe a bit too much, but it's fun. Anyway, all that to say, Robbie Fabry at him. I think I put him above a lot of the other guys we've talked about already. You know, the uh, Marion Gabrick and the Sam Gagne and whatever. Miko Koivu, give me Fabry. Yeah, for as long as he's there. I mean, we've talked about how the Blues lines get shuffled a lot, and when he does get those opportunities, he's good enough to take advantage of them. Sure, he has four goals on his last 15 shots, and I've you know used that as a reason to not believe in other guys, but Fabry is talented. Interestingly, just one of those recent points came on the power play, so he's been producing outside of the power play and also on the power play. He has six power play points in total this year compared with eight all of last year. So more power play time that he makes the most out of is of course going to be a good thing if he can keep getting it. Yeah, well, basically, like, this is all like a smokescreen. Like, we all know what's happening in St. Louis. It's Vladimir Tarasenko having a career year. I already talked about this, I think, on just the last episode or two episodes ago. So it's just like whoever's with Tarasenko is going to just get residual points. I don't even know how good Fabry is. I feel like, you know, David Perron was doing the same thing when he was in the same situation. So you're right, Brian. Like, as soon as Fabry loses that situation, I'm not saying he could definitely produce his own offense. But, like, for now... 
take the guy on the top line or whatever line you want to call it, but the line and power play with Vladimir Tarasenko because he is able to carry people. He's the Connor McDavid of St. Louis. I feel like, you know, him and Crosby and McDavid are like the three guys who's just like, you want the guy on their line, like no matter what, because they're just so good. Like maybe, I mean, now you could throw in some other guys, the Dallas guys or whatever, but just like Tarasenko is fantastic. And so grab Fabry if you can. Okay, let's go to another team with a really good player, the New York Islanders. They have John Tavares. He's amazing. Nine points in his last 10 games. No big deal. That's what we would expect. But there are some other guys, I guess, riding coattails or, or coming along for the rides. We have to mention Josh Bailey right there with him. Also nine points in his last 10 games. He's been on Tavares' wing, like his left wing all season, pretty much, at least since Andrew Ladd got bumped from that spot. And Josh Bailey's also on the top power play. So I feel like if he's available, I would definitely take a look at him. Like he's keeping it up now. And it's been like, you know, 25 games into the season. And then another guy on the Islanders who is doing really well right now is Anders Lee, someone who we used to love. I feel like a former podcast favorite, maybe a couple years ago, Anders Lee, when he came up and was just getting so many shots on goal. And you know how much Brian and I love guys who are able to put a lot of pucks on the net. That's why we like Victor Arvidsson way back when, when he wasn't putting up points. But we saw all those shots. We knew that the points were going to come. Anders Lee hasn't been taking like so many shots at least not as many as he did when he first started. But hey, can't argue with seven goals and two assists in his last eight games played. So I feel like, is it time to stop ignoring Josh Bailey and Anders Lee? They might be available in free agency for you. And we've given you a bunch of guys who you might want to drop. Here are some guys who, if they're available, I think they are worth looking at. The Isles are a funny team. I was trying to figure out, well, who plays for, like, if you play for the Isles, what's likely to happen? Is it going to go well or not? And they're actually a top 10 team in expected goals for, which, by the way, I've mentioned it a ton over this episode and recent ones. You can find it over at Corsica.hockey. Okay, so the Isles are a top 10 team in expected goals for, but they're 28th overall in score-adjusted shot attempts, which means that a huge number of all shot attempts while they're on the ice is going against them. So I guess the shots that they do get off are pretty good and pretty dangerous chances as what expected goals for is measuring. Unfortunately, they just are under a barrage for entire games. So what does this mean for the players? I'm actually trying to tease it out. I'm not totally sure. I mean, John Tavares is going to be good. Josh Bailey, he's a guy who sometimes does and sometimes doesn't score. You know, we've watched him move away and towards Tavares several times over the last three years. And sometimes he goes on amazing runs and other times nothing at all happens. And we've seen that happen in this season alone. So I'm not going to get super excited about Josh Bailey. You know, maybe he's a good ad while he's hot, but expect him to cool down and be ready to cycle out. Anders Lee, I think I'd actually leave him alone. He has one in three of every shots he's taking that are going in during this stretch, which is something that will not sustain itself. All right, so Bailey over Lee, and then I guess people can extrapolate on what you think about him over these other guys. I don't know if you want to comment on, say, like a Fabry versus... Uh, I don't even know who's a, who's your number one right now. Some of these guys, of all the guys we've talked about, of like Gabrick and Fabry and Sam Gagne and whoever. Does and Druin throwing, count? No, Druin doesn't count. He's probably not available in most leagues. And yeah, throw in these Islanders guys. Who's your number one right now? For the moment, for as long as Fabry's on the top power play and playing with Tarasenko, Fabry. Okay, cool. And we had a question in the chat here, Arvidsson or Fabry? I would take Arvidsson, though, over him, just because he's been doing it for a long time, and I think he's pretty likely to be in the top six. I could still see Fabry like having a bad game and getting bumped to the bottom six, just like David Perron did. Do you concur? I concur. Okay, 
Next, let's go to another, I guess a former Islander. I was going to say another Islander. He, he seems like an Islander, right? Franz Nielsen, he's not there anymore. I still think of him as a guy on a team that doesn't score much. He's like a stabilizing force. But he has eight points in his last eight games for the Red Wings, bringing him to 16 points and 28 on the season. So throw him into the list, Brian, I guess, of guys that might be available in your league that you might want to look at adding. He has been playing with Dylan Larkin and Glenn Denning in the last game. And I know these lines shake around a lot. And we talked about... Anthony Mantha recently as a guy in Detroit, but I think like Franz Nielsen, if he's available, I like him better than Mantha. Like he's just a really solid guy that seems to be able to put up points. And, you know, unlike a lot of forwards, he's pretty solid for blocks. He gets you around a block a game. So, you know, if your league counts blocks, you could get potentially points from Nielsen and maybe some help in a peripheral category that generally you only get help from, from defensemen. Yeah, he is on a team that doesn't score a lot of goals and that he is a really solidifying force for. So good for him. He's doing good things for himself and for Dylan Larkin, who's up to five points in his last eight games. Nothing phenomenal, but it's there. And Anthony Mantha, Elon, we mentioned him last week. He's still, uh, he had another goal against Winnipeg the other night. So he's still uh, sort of humming along, at least a half point per game guy, if that sort of thing is relevant in your league. Okay, and I guess I should mention we brought up Justin Schultz and Ian Cole last episode as guys on hot streaks on Pittsburgh. I sort of was like talking about a bunch of Pittsburgh guys. I think we were talking about the outjuries to Hornqvist and Chris Kunitz. And then I was like, oh, okay. And also, by the way, there's a couple of defensemen on Pittsburgh getting points just because they've been scoring so many goals. And you were like, yeah, I guess you had to mention Justin Schultz and Ian Cole. Don't expect much from them. Okay, but since then, since the last episode, they both put up a couple multi-point games in a row as the Penguins have put up five-plus goals for four straight games, or at least they did only four goals yesterday. What's that? Only four goals? And neither Schultz or Cole got in on any of them. But, Brian, are you still feeling the same way about Justin Schultz and Ian Cole on Pittsburgh? I know a lot of people have added them. They were asking or if they should add them or something. So, you know, I don't know, Brian, if you're seeing our Twitter, but I'm just going with them. I know you're going to, like, kind of think, Elon, why are you asking about these nothing guys? But I just want to know, have you changed your mind about either Justin Schultz or Ian Cole or either of them worth adding at this point? No, I have not. And no, they are not. Okay, let's end the show. At least for me, maybe you have some more players. I got to mention the guy currently taking a turn on the McDavid line. You know, just the fact that we've done this so many times goes to show that you shouldn't give a lot for one of these guys because it changes so often. But Drake Caguila has been playing (laughs) with Connor McDavid and Milan Lucic recently. Five points in 12 games overall on the season. So nothing exceptional. But we all know if you play with McDavid, you always have a potential to get points. He's also putting up a decent number of hits, which is nice if your league counts that. So would you say Kagila? Oh, you laughed at me so much. So why don't you say his name and then say if he's worth a look? Well, if this video that I just watched on YouTube, a uh, video game footage uh, is is any real thing to trust. And I might trust it over Kagila. Kajula is the way to say it. I've always read it as Kagila. I don't know. I don't know how I've read it. I've actually bounced back and forth a bunch. Anyway. The point is, as long as he's playing with Connor McDavid, there you go. Go ahead and grab Drake. Uh, he'll be good for you for as long as that happens again. You know, we're, we're doing this all over again, Elon. Last week, we talked about how the Blues and the Oilers, they shuffle their lines, and there are a couple winners every time and a couple losers every time. This week's winners are Fabry and Drake. Kajula. I'm going with Kajula. Yeah, we should also maybe trust these video games more, maybe to help with our prognostications. No. Just... Oh. Okay, no. <laughs> okay, no, I thought I thought you meant with, with pronunciations. Video games are a big reason why my pronunciations are often off. Let me tell you, Daryl Ray and Jim Houston on those NHL games through the mid-2000s, uh, well, early through late, whatever, uh, not always 100% accurate. Okay. Do you have video games to blame for that time when you said, what was it, Anche Kopitar and uh, oh, okay. uh, Evgeny, Evgeny Malkin? Were those who, from video games? Who, who, who 
I have nothing. I have no, I'm a lot more forgiving to you, I think, than you are to me. That's all I'm going to say. No, I'm 100% forgiving to you because I never correct you. And but you always you're coming hard- back in my face all of a sudden. Yeah, because you're always so hard on me and making fun of me for my pronunciation. So I feel like I just have to point out the few times when you got it wrong. Anyways, but That's it's good. That's petty. That is petty. No, it, uh, to be honest, Childish. the only time- the times that we get bad reviews on iTunes are be- are when we like mispronounce names. <laughs> With that, let us close out this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. Thanks to everyone who joined us in the chat room. It was so much fun. Another really fun episode. And thanks to everyone for listening and downloading the show. And we love the people who are communicating with us on Twitter. And then, of course, the patrons. Like, we're having a great time. Thank you so much for helping us keep this going. If you want to help support the show, you could go to iTunes, give us a five-star review. That is, like, a really great way to help support the show. Costs you nothing. You're already on the internet. Also, if you want to really help support the show, you could sign up to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. This is a program we have where people who want to throw down five hard-earned dollars a month, enough to buy Brian or I a beer at a bar once a month, you can uh, do that and also get some nice perks like joining our patron-only Facebook group. And also, we do a monthly patron cast, by the way. Brian, that is due, right? We need to do a patron cast this month. So that'll be coming soon. We'll be scheduling that with the patrons. So yeah, lots of fun if you become a patron of Keeping Carlson. So for more information for that, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And with that, let us cue that outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest patrons, Kyle W. and Aladdin B. Hope I pronounced that right. Welcome aboard. This show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job as always, Brian. And I look forward to doing this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. And one quick shout out to Marcus because I'm probably going to use his idea from the chat room tonight in our title. Keep on keeping Carlson, everybody. <laughs>